Welcome to another edition of About Mansfield. I'm Steve Casillo with Colleen Daniel. She's broadcasting from home today. We're along with the entire About Mansfield news team. We appreciate you being here today. This is episode 33, and coming up on this episode, we have Mansfield news, sports, weather for the upcoming week. And as always, we will conclude this episode with the trivia question of the week for a $25 gift card to Jake's Burgers and Beer. Let's take a look at this week's headlines. Council approves a new city manager. The COVID-19 epidemic appears to have resumed its increasing trend in Mansfield. School board president takes a look at what the upcoming school year may look like. Long lines result in change in policy and an apology from MISD superintendent. Mansfield Small Business takes COVID testing to a national level. Entrepreneurs open farm-to-table business in downtown. Council approves moratorium to limit the amount of downtown tattoo shops. In sports, Mansfield's T.J. Antone has a strong debut for the Cincinnati Reds. And why do smoke detectors only last 10 years? Home improvement specialist Terry Radswin has the answer in the Ask Terry segment. Alexa is here with the seven-day weather forecast, and we will talk in studio with Mansfield Mission Center Executive Director Carmen McMillan. We are Mansfield's only source for news, talk, and information. This is about Mansfield. Hi, this is John with Pool Aid, your local pool care specialist. The CDC has determined that pool maintenance services are an essential business due to the added threat of bacteria, algae, mold, and funguses that is a byproduct of the lack of cleaning in a chemical imbalance. Allow us to be an essential part of your pool. If you have any questions or concerns or need a certified professional to help keep your pool safe and clean, visit us on the internet at poolaid.net. That's poolaid.net. We're here for you. In 1999, Mansfield Cares was founded to be the safety net for those in need in our great city. Mansfield Cares built the first free medical dental eye clinic and the warehouse that is home to the only food bank in Mansfield. Our city's seven food pantries, Feed the Kids program, Back to School Bash, and college scholarships have all benefited from Mansfield Cares. Become a part of Mansfield's safety net. Donate today at mansfieldcares.org. That's mansfieldcares.org. Hi, I'm Adam Larson, Operations Manager at the Mansfield Star Center, and you're listening to About Mansfield. Welcome back to About Mansfield. The Mansfield City Council met Monday night in a regular meeting, and with the recap, here's Councilman Casey Lewis. The City Council met on Monday night for a regularly scheduled council meeting. We began the day at 9 a.m. continuing interviews for the City Manager position. We started off the regular meeting with a brief work session recapping where things stand with the upcoming fiscal year 2021 budget. The proposed budget has a tax rate cut in addition to the 10% homestead exemption already approved for Mansfield homeowners. This tax relief will be reflected on property tax bills that go out this fall of 2020. After an exhaustive search and a number of interviews and discussions, we have now appointed the next city manager of Mansfield. Another exciting item is that we unanimously approved the interlocal agreement with Mansfield ISD to help provide high-speed internet access to Mansfield and Tarrant County residents to provide assistance with distance learning this school year. The funding for this program is using CARES Act money from the federal government. Other items on the agenda were calling the election for mayor and open council seats on the November ballot, as well as the seven ballot propositions for amending the city charter. An update to our mosquito control policy was on the agenda. However, council tabled the policy update to give staff time to prepare a comparison to other Tarrant County cities and create a better communication and education strategy for residents. This will come back within the next month for further discussions. Lastly, we placed a temporary moratorium on new COs for tattoo parlors within the historic downtown TERS boundaries while we investigate some potential zoning options for this area. Our next regularly scheduled meeting is August 24th. On behalf of the City Council and for About Mansfield, I'm Casey Lewis. Thank you, Casey. As Councilman Lewis stated, Council voted unanimously Monday night to appoint Interim City Manager Joe Smolinski as the new City Manager. Councilman Lewis made the motion. I'd like to make a motion that we appoint the next city manager of Mansfield as Joe Smolinski. Smolinski, who had previously served as deputy city manager over development services, has been with the city of Mansfield for 19 years. Mayor David Cook welcomes Smolinski to his new position. You got a high bar, 36 years ahead of you was your predecessor, so uh, good luck in uh, matching that, uh, that uh, total. But uh, congratulations on, on the appointment, and I know that you'll serve the citizens and this council well. Motion carries unanimously, and I'd like to congratulate Joe Smolinski as the next city manager of the city of Mansfield. 
Smolinski was the director of utility operations prior to becoming a part of the city's management team. The COVID-19 epidemic appears to be back to spreading across Mansfield. About Mansfield's roving science reporter Dennis Webb has the story. Thanks, Steve. The spread of the virus resumed last week after appearing to pause the week before. Piece of news I should have reported last week. On July 31st, our county judge, Glenn Whitley, extended his executive order declaring a local public health disaster for the county until August 31st. This extends his order that he put out originally at the end of June, tweaking a few things to be consistent with the state of Texas guidance. We, the citizens of Tarrant County, are officially still experiencing a local public health disaster. On Monday, August 10th, 2020, Tarrant County reported 775 Mansfieldians as having tested positive. 513 are estimated to have recovered, and 17 citizens have died since the start. Of the 775 local cases locally, we had 121 new cases this past week in Mansfield, a record high going the wrong way. If we can maintain our civically responsible behavior, we can reduce our own likelihood of catching the virus, drive this number near zero, and keep from closing back down. We had four new COVID-19 deaths in Mansfield this past week, a record high for the city since the start, and a tragedy for their Mansfield families. On Monday, the county estimated that there are 262 active cases in Mansfield. That's 262 fellow citizens who could pass the virus to another citizen if they aren't distancing or masking. This is a bit higher than last week's 257 active cases, but not a record. Our overall weekly numbers are not declining, suggesting there are more people than this number who could pass the virus to another person in our town. We had seven new cases in the part of Mansfield that is in Johnson County and no new cases in the small part of Mansfield that is in Ellis County. The increase in new cases is a trend we need to reverse and start getting our weekly numbers close to zero. As citizens, we could put the brakes on the spread of the virus with the simple actions our leaders ask. When you are out and about, keep your distance from other people and wear a mask. Wash your hands a lot. Avoid crowds. And if you are old or sick, stay at home as much as you can. Don't let up. Reporting from the Science Desk at About Mansfield, I'm Dennis Webb. By the way, you can catch the musician Dennis Webb, same person, performing this Saturday at the Mansfield Farmer's Market from 8 a.m. until noon. Fresh produce and live music at the corner of Broad and Walnut Creek. Like every year, many parents will be taking their first day of school photos on the front porch. Except this year, they're going to go back inside the house instead of to a school building. About Mansfield's Stacy Maine talked with one school board trustee and files this report. Anxiety and excitement is normal leading up to the first day of school, but this year there is more anxiety due to a different kind of uncertainty. Karen Marcucci, school board president, is here to discuss what we think school will look like in Mansfield ISD this coming year. I'm wondering what it's like to be a school board member right now during all of this. It's stressful. Um, There's a lot of emails that are being sent and um, a lot of discussions that are being had. But all things considered, most of the responsibility for our day-to-day operations falls to the superintendent and her staff. So they're really the ones that you should be praying for and worried about. The board members, we're just here happy to serve and just try to provide a voice uh, to the community, to those in leadership. How do you think people are looking at local government now during this COVID crisis as compared to before this? I think that's a great question because it has changed so much, hasn't it? That's one of the things that's really interesting to me is that we've always been advocates for local control um, as much as possible and get as close to the people as we can. But as things progressed, I'm sure that you've seen uh, all the ups and downs that have happened with funding in regards to public education in Texas. You know, originally that decision was started with the governor and was being issued through statements with the Texas Education Agency. And then he deferred some of that power to some of our local judges and um that power then was then uh, pushed down even further to the school boards. I wish we could have started there. I think that would have saved, saved a lot of headache if the school boards had had the option to get involved uh, sooner with what this looks like. But I will tell you that I'm pleased with the direction because I really do think that local control is probably what is best for uh, citizens and individuals uh, in our community. I think we can best serve with that local control. So that does lead me to the question, just to kind of explain a little bit how 
we got here. So initially, we were going to go back to the classroom on September 28th after the um, health officials had mandated that's, that online school should only be held until September 28th and then maybe go back to class. So what happened there that changed that? So Ken Paxton came out um, uh, and uh, said that as attorney general that those um, orders were an overreach and that it was uh, actually up to the local um, school boards to decide uh, when we could go back in person. And so after much discussion with the superintendent, um, we decided to keep our school schedule the same and actually have the first day of school school start August 12th remotely, and then September 8th is when we will begin um, in-person instruction for those that had chosen uh, that path. And we were a little bit delayed because um, during this time, um, the Texas Education Agency had decided to take the money that had been allocated for PPE and um, purchase that equipment for all the school districts and then distribute it to the individual school districts. And so there was some concern about making sure that we had adequate PPE in place and then also, um, you know, making sure that the doors were ready to be open because CDC were supposed to be following their guidelines. They had revised those guidelines, and we didn't actually receive the latest guidelines until the end of July. And so we felt for in-person instruction, you know, we needed another couple of weeks just to make sure everyone was trained on the latest. Um, procedures and protocols and that we had all the equipment in place to do that. And so that's, you know, that's how we came to that decision. The board can extend the online instruction to start again further, another four weeks, I think it is. Um, do you think you'll vote for that on the August 25th regular board meeting or will a special meeting be called? At this point, I don't believe so. Um, I can't speak for everyone on the board. Um, they still have the opportunity to put items onto the agenda for that meeting. But I will tell you, our community, I mean, resoundingly told us that they are ready to get kids back in school. And again, you know, with the local control that we have here, we feel like it's our obligation to listen to our community and provide choices for them, as many choices as possible, and work hard to meet the needs that they have. And so getting kids back into school in person is something we feel like we need to do. Obviously, we're going to do that as safely as we can, but we are trying very hard to listen to our community needs and meet them. And in anticipation of the school year and the continuing COVID-19 crisis, Mansfield ISD did give parents and students two different options for the fall semester. Tell me what they were. So they had the option to receive instruction virtually for the time period that they would like. Originally, we had asked that they uh, limit their choices to the semester so it, so that um, they could choose their choice for first semester, and then if they wanted to change their choice for second semester, they could. But the Texas Education Agency came out and said, no, you need to offer the choice every grading period. So every six weeks, parents will have the opportunity to switch the learning if they would like to do in person or if they would like to do uh, remotely. And so that's what we're moving forward with. When you put out the survey to ask everybody how comfortable they would feel about coming back to school, how did you handle the teachers who didn't feel comfortable returning to the classroom? Teachers were given the option to apply for our virtual academy, and I use the word application because they did have to let us know, but I will tell you, we tried to uh, um, accommodate uh, those teachers as best as we could, although things didn't always go exactly the, the way they wanted. So, for instance, if I'm a pre-K teacher and I wanted to teach virtually, I applied, and we tried to give you the virtual classrooms, but if we had more pre-K parents that want to show up in person than we had the need for virtually, then we may have had to shift you to a different grade, but we did allow them the opportunity to teach, let's say, second grade uh, virtually so that they did have the option to teach virtually, although it, we tried to match it as closely as we could to the subject they were currently teaching. But that also happens with in-person instruction. As the need changes, we do have to shift teachers around to different grade levels and you know different classrooms, and so we did the same that. So we did give the teachers the option to teach virtually or in-person. And what percentage of Mansfield ISD students enrolled in the continual virtual learning for the fall semester? We're anticipating about 40% of our kids will be uh, virtual. Again, that can change every grading period, so it's hard to tell, you know, what that number is going to look like at the end of the semester. 
And um, so that's that's where we are. I'm sure the accommodations like for virtual learning, like for kids that have a 504, maybe need special help or special accommodations. Maybe they participate in speech therapy or get reading help. How are those going to be delivered? They're actually going through each of those one by one and working through them and making sure that we are meeting the parents' needs. And so that's really the way that that's being handled is just on an individual basis. And what programs did you find, whether it was a special program or an accommodation that that just can't be met? Did you find anything like that that just could not be met? Well, there are some things that um, we have been talking about for a while, like how do you teach Braille to a blind student online? Right. I mean, there are some things that um, that, you know, we are going to have to work through uh, with those parents on an individual basis. So, yes, there are there are a lot of obstacles like that. I couldn't tell you specifically what they all are, but I can tell you that they are working with the parents um, as best as they can to work through each one of those. So going back to school, can you tell me a little bit about what happens if a child or a teacher is diagnosed with COVID-19 back in the classroom? There's a lot of detail that's on our website that goes through that. We're following the CDC recommendations, but I will mention, too, that we do have a committee that's really working through all of those things as well for what exactly things are going to look like when we come back to in-person schooling. That committee will hopefully meet in the next week or two, and it's made up of all kinds of community members as well as healthcare professionals as well as employees in the district that are involved with all of this. And so uh, they will have all those specific recommendations, but it gets fairly complicated pretty quick when you start to read through all those. So I would just encourage people to go to our website and look at the COVID resources. And there's a pretty good breakdown there of exactly what that looks like. What about the nurses? They're going to, it looks like they're playing an important role in schools. Are there enough full-time nurses in the schools to respond to the sick teachers and students? I do believe that we are in good shape there. They have been so involved from the very very beginning with this, with such positive attitudes. They have been amazing. And so I do feel really, really confident about our nursing services and what we're going to be able to offer there um, and how they're going to be able to help with kids. And they are prepared. I mean, they have been working on this for a long time. They are prepared because they recognize, you know, if a kid comes in and seems a little out of sorts where before the teacher may have said, hey, put your head down for 10 minutes, you know, or go get a sip of water. They're not doing that anymore. They're going to send them straight to the nurse and get them checked out. So they are ready. I feel very confident about that. We can say this is how school will look like, but again, things have been changing nonstop. So, (laughs) and we really appreciate, I've noticed on, on the Facebook pages for the different PTAs and stuff that while, especially during um, device pickup, I saw that there was a there was some angry parents, but I did see a lot of parents that were still asking, you know, giving grace and and um, love and knowing how hard everybody is working to get us back to school. And uh, so they, you know, it is appreciated all the hard work that everybody is doing. But I really appreciate you being on here to to explain to us all the complications that are behind all the decisions that you guys are making. And I really appreciate it. Well, and I want to let you know, too, I mean, and I want our community to know, like, I'm in this, too. I have three daughters that attend three different schools in Mansfield ISD. And that is originally why I ran for the school board, because I wanted to have more of a say in um, their opportunities and for other opportunities for for kids in Mansfield. And I wanted to increase choices for parents. And that's been um, probably the hardest thing that we've had to deal with is that we have offered so many choices to parents. They are used to a lot more than I, than our surrounding districts, to be honest with you. I mean, we've really grown a lot in the opportunities that our kids can take advantage of. And so trying to offer those both virtually and in person has been really challenging. But I do have three children in the district. I sat in the same lines for device pickup. Like, I get it. I am right there. And I will tell you, Dr. Cantu, our new superintendent, she has a daughter in the school district as well. Sean Scott, who's over academics, he has several kids in the district. And so it's a really interesting time to 
work with the district because I serve both roles, right, as, as a parent as a, and as a leader. And so uh, when I tell people, like, I'm in it with you, I truly mean that because my girls will also be um, attending Mansfield schools, and they're starting on Wednesday remotely, and they will start in person September 8th as well. And so um, we really are in this together, and our theme has been, you know, Mansfield ISD strong, and that is really the goal. And I want people to understand, too, that we know that mistakes will be made because this is brand new. We have never done anything like this before, but we are willing to learn from our mistakes and figure out how to do it better and partner with our community. And I am so thankful for um, the parents that have been very constructive in their criticism. We have heard, we have tried to adjust, and we will continue to try and adjust. And um, as we live it, too, we'll see better opportunities, and we will continue to do that. But our kids, at the end of the day, are going to be okay. I honestly believe that in my heart because we have the best educators in Texas. They are phenomenal and they care so deeply about our kids. They will engage with parents. They will help kids in any way that they can, but we do need to have that true partnership where we work together through this. For more information, visit the school district's website at mansfieldisd.org. That was Karen Marcucci, school board president, discussing with me the challenges facing Mansfield ISD this upcoming school year. Reporting for About Mansfield, I'm Stacy Main. Mansfield ISD Superintendent Dr. Kimberly Cantu reached out to parents of school-aged kids by email last week, apologizing for the long lines and waiting times as parents attempted to pick up digital devices for the upcoming school year. Cantu stated on Sunday, quote, I want to take a moment and personally apologize for the long wait times families have experienced during device pickup. I understand your frustrations, and I want you to know that we are listening and have spent the last several days devising a new plan to make the process run more smoothly while keeping our students and staff safe, end quote. Mansfield ISD has increased device pickup to five locations with additional days and extended hours. Each campus now has a dedicated pickup location. The updated distribution schedule started on Monday and will run through Saturday. Although the first day of school is Wednesday, August 12th, students who have not yet picked up their devices have been assured that they will not be behind as the start of the school year begins with making connections and establishing processes. Students can also opt to use their own device instead of using a district-owned device. All programs and apps needed for online learning can be accessed on any device with an internet connection. To view the updated MISD device distribution schedule, log on to our website, aboutmansfield.com, and click on the Links tab. The headline on statnews.com, a medical news website, read, This tiny Texas company is running most of the drive through COVID testing in the United States. About Mansfield caught up with Coral May, CEO of Mansfield-based E-True North, which acts as a conduit for COVID-19 testing between patients and the labs that conduct the tests all throughout the United States. May explains how her company got set up. When COVID-19 came around and the White House announced the public-private partnership for COVID-19 testing and making it available to the public from a broad-spread perspective, we were actually asked by our friends and partners at Walmart to help them because they wanted to be able to provide testing. So we, starting in April, became very involved in COVID-19 testing at Walmart pharmacies, Kroger pharmacies, and then independent pharmacies that are part of the McKesson HealthMart franchise. For the patient, the test is a fairly simple process, starting with logging onto the company's website. The way that an individual is tested in our program, they come to our website, which is doineedacovid19test.com, and that is a publicly available website where the individual registers and creates an account. They are then prompted through a series of questions to see if they are eligible for a test, and that eligibility is based solely on the CDC criteria for eligibility. Once the person is determined to be eligible, they then are, based on their zip code, 
the individual then selects the location they would like to go to. They select a day and an appointment time. At that stage, they are presented with a one-page voucher, which is a um, physical document that they take with them to the test site. It provides information on the date and time of their appointment. More importantly, it also has a unique identifier on there. And when the individual shows up at the test site, all of that testing and specimen collection is done at a location outside of the store. May explains the importance of conducting the COVID tests outside the pharmacy or testing sites. Either the test sites are set up in a parking lot location or they are actually at the drive through window at the pharmacy where the pharmacist passes the test through the drawer where they would typically send a prescription out to the, the person in their car. And so the person stays in their car and the exchange happens through the window. May told about Mansfield that the average turnaround time for test results is about three to five days by notifying the patient that the results have been posted in their account on the testing website. And they're presented with their results, a laboratory report that they can print out that gives them all of the information about what their result is, what it means, what their best next steps are. So it really is a a self-serve from a technology perspective to allow that person to um, help themselves and and really make it easy for them to receive results. Given that eTrue North administers up to 5,000 COVID tests per testing site per day, there's a lot of data gathering going on through the website. And just what does eTrue North do with that data? We also send all of the results back to the local state Department of Health because by law, um, that is a requirement as well, that the Department of Health receive results so that they're able to perform contact tracing for anyone who has a positive test. And there is no age limit on the COVID testing. To the best of my knowledge, we are the only HHS contractor who's providing this testing that will test individuals of any age. So from babies on up, um, many of the other test sites that are available do not test anyone under the age of 18. And we just, as a resource and an opportunity, feel so strongly about making testing equally available to children that our sites are open to any age. May stated that eTrue North has partnerships with over 400 pharmacies nationwide, as well as servicing current or emerging hotspots throughout the country by offering aid to health and human services and other government agencies. A partnership between HHS, the state, the National Guard from that state, the Department of Health, and eTrue North. And so we have had sites in down in the Rio Grande Valley, so in Edinburgh, Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, We've got a number of sites in Louisiana. We're in Miami. We're in Bakersfield, California, Phoenix. Um, So, you know, those are not necessarily pharmacy-related, but they're absolutely up to 5,000 tests per day in each of those cities where the testing takes place. And it's all administered right here in Mansfield, Texas. It is. We are a a Mansfield company. We started the company in 2013. Clearly had no idea that a pandemic would ever happen, but that we as a majority woman-owned small business would have the opportunity to be able to serve the American public. But here we are. Again, if you feel the need to have a COVID-19 test, log on to doineedacovid19test.com, schedule and take your test, and receive the results through the very same website. That's it. That's It is truly that easy. That's Coral May, CEO of eTrue North, a small Mansfield business helping tackle a large national pandemic. One group of local entrepreneurs has teamed up to help bring farm-fresh produce and other grocery-type items to downtown Mansfield. About Mansfield caught up with the local farmer co-owner Caitlin Cole, who is still reeling from a successful grand opening weekend. We had a lot of different vendors out here, kind of an introduction to the community from us. 
We reached a lot of people, and everybody seemed really excited about what we're trying to do here. Cole said that the main focus of the store is being local. Some of it's from our farm. We traveled to different farms around the area. Everything is local. Things that are in our store that aren't edible, all of those are local as well. Two of the co-owners also grow some of the produce on their own farm, based right here in Mansfield. Yeah, that's、um, our partners, Caleb and Kayla Back. Their family has land over on Newt Patterson. The backs have been in Mansfield since before Mansfield was Mansfield. So they have 199 acres over there on Newt Patterson, and we grow some stuff out there that we bring into the store as well. Cole describes the shopping experience at the local farmer as one you might expect to see in the heart of a small downtown. We would hope that they would feel like they're coming to. Just a hometown grocery store, the kind of store you go into, you know everybody, you have conversations with us, and you know we just want everyone to feel like home when they come in. And variety is the key to their success. We have some freeze-dried products like strawberries and a few other things, and those come from Burleson. We have a little bean natural vendor, Jennifer. She's great. We have homemade candles. We have homemade jams and pickled products like pickled jalapenos, pickled okra. We have salsas. We just want people to be able to avoid big box stores, and so they can buy local and eat better. If the coronavirus has you sticking close to home, the local farmer offers a delivery service when you sign up for their subscription service. People can choose between weekly, biweekly, or monthly, and it's thirty dollars per box. It's about thirty dollars worth of food that you could get at our store, and we deliver it right to you. Our last box included a dozen free-range eggs, some corn, potatoes, a pound of green beans, some tomatoes, just a variety of things that we have in our store. The local farmer can be found at 206 North Main Street in historic Mansfield, and they're open daily from 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. City Council approved a moratorium Monday night limiting the amount of tattoo shops in Mansfield. About Mansfield's Robbie Terry reports, citing that a third tattoo shop owner had just signed a lease in downtown Mansfield and possibly more on the way. Councilman Casey Lewis opened discussion on possible action regarding options related to the zoning, specific use permits, and the commercial leases of tattoo shops. It was brought to my attention on Thursday evening that、um, a lease had been signed in downtown for a, a, another tattoo parlor. I was told, and I haven't done any vetting or research into this, that Arlington has stopped issuing COs for tattoo parlors,、um, and that has been what has caused this move south for some of these tattoo parlors. So, wanted to discuss what options may be available to us. The discussion was supported by Mayor Cook and Councilpersons Mike Lehman and Julie Short. City Attorney Alan Taylor said that there is no legal reason why a moratorium can't be placed on future tattoo parlors until city staff has a plan addressing a proposed change in commercial use. Mr. Mayor, I, I know of no reason that we could not consider、uh, a moratorium while we are considering a change in use. But on a specific subtype of commercial use, I think it would be possible for the city staff to impose a moratorium. If it was directing that the staff undertake a specific study to bring back a specific plan to address that use, and there there are no specific protections provided in state law for a tattoo parlor, a tattoo parlor would just be subject to the normal zoning discretion of the city council. Council voted unanimously to approve a moratorium on tattoo parlors in historic downtown Mansfield. No word on when the temporary ban may be lifted. Reporting for About Mansfield, I'm Robbie Terry. Let's check sports. Here's Tommy Cummings. Mansfield's own T.J. Antone made his first Major League Baseball start last week for the Cincinnati Reds, and in four and one-third innings, T.J. allowed two hits, one run in Cincinnati's 2-0 loss to Cleveland. 
PJ was glad to get back on the mound. You know, I got a lot of family and friends. Uh, obviously, couldn't travel here, but um, hey, when you're going to pitch, you know, ask me all that and trying to watch the game. Obviously, knowing that I'm going to be a, a reliever and trying to watch, the, you know, the game late into the innings. And, um, you know, I'm just telling them, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to pitch. Hopefully soon. Um, and I kind of expected it uh, either today or tomorrow. You know, I understand that. You know, the Reds don't want me to sit around too long um, just, you know, as it being my major league debut. But at the same time, if Wade went, you know, seven and then uh, Mally went seven again, it's like, you know what? We don't really need a bullpen right now. And uh, let the guys, you know, our back end guys uh, clean up what they do need to do. P.J. will have to wait a while for his next appearance at the Reds. He was optioned to the Reds' alternate camp to comply with the league's deadline to reduce the roster number from 30 to 28 players. Perhaps you remember T.J. He was a standout at Legacy High, played at TCU and Weatherford College before the Reds drafted him in 2014. He's a right-hander with a 93-mile-an-hour fastball, so chances are the majors hadn't seen the last of T.J., If Major League Baseball isn't doing it for you now, how about seeing some youth baseball out at Big League Dreams? This Saturday and Sunday, the Pony Express Baseball World Series for players 12 years old to high school age will be played with teams as far away as Hooks and Paris. They'll be taking on teams from the DFW area. It's early, but it appears the Mansfield Youth Baseball Association is a go. Registration starts Sunday, August 16th, with games scheduled to begin September 21st, a Monday. The league is for young baseball players ages 4 to 16. Last year, over 185 teams with 2,300 players competed. To check in, go to mymyba.com. On the high school front, Mansfield ISD's football programs start fall workouts on September 7th. That's also the date that the Mansfield ISD volleyball teams will start their workouts. Their regular seasons will start the next week. Meanwhile, the cross-country teams will also start September 7th. The Mansfield Pee Wee Football Association is wrapping up registration for its 2020 season. In-person registration will be accepted at Chandler Park starting at 6.30 p.m. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday evenings. Parents note that parking is designated in front of Western Middle School. Teams start practicing on August 24th, a Monday. That's it for Sports in Mansfield. If you have any sports news, let us know. Reporting for About Mansfield, I'm Tommy Cummings. We start a new feature today called Ask Terry. Terry is our resident home improvement specialist and answers your questions about the place that you call home. Terry? Today's question comes from Dennis, and he says, I read online that you need to replace smoke detectors every 10 years. Why is this? As I have not seen ads on TV begging me to pay someone to replace my smoke detectors, who do I call as I am too old to get on a ladder? Dennis, thanks for the question. Our first question. You know how you're enjoying a peaceful night's sleep when all of a sudden your smoke alarm starts screaming at about 3 a.m.? You get up in a panic and stumble around the house sniffing for smoke, and you find that there's no smoke, no fire, nothing. Well, despite the urge to bash your smoke detector with a Louisville slugger, don't. Have a little warm milk, go back to sleep, and the next day set about replacing your smoke detectors. Why? Because you need to do this, as you said, every 10 years, and most people don't even realize it. The reason for this is that smoke detectors have a sensor in them that, over time, gets coated with all the gunk and dirt that's in the air in our homes. Unfortunately, there's no way to clean these sensors because the smoke detectors are sealed, tamper-proof units. So, for safety's sake and for our sanity, we replace the detectors every 10 years. Doing it yourself is a pretty easy task for the average homeowner, whether you have a battery-operated unit or, as most homes in Mansfield have, a wired-in unit. As an aside, if you have a battery-operated smoke detector, you need to replace the battery every six months, unless you have one of the newer units which have a lithium-ion battery that gives them a 10-year life without battery changes. The easiest way to remember when to change the battery is to do it on the days when we go to daylight saving time and then back again. Most large retailers and hardware stores have a good selection of detectors to choose from. Changing the unit is simply a matter of removing the cover, removing two screws, unplugging the connection from the house wiring, plugging the new detector in, reinstalling the screws, which are hopefully in the same location. If not, you may have to pop a couple new holes and install some plastic anchors, and installing the cover. It's important to note that different brands of detectors may have different plug-in connections. Some come with an adapter, or even two included in the package with the new unit. If the one you purchased didn't, the manufacturers usually offer an adapter that you can purchase separately. If you're not good on a ladder, as you say you're not, 
you can usually get the job done by a general handyman or an electrician. And while you're at it, you should also look at replacing your carbon monoxide detectors if you have them. CO detectors manufactured before 2013 have a seven-year lifespan, so it's definitely time to do it now. Units manufactured in 2013 and forward generally have a 10-year lifespan. If your home has gas appliances like a range, a dryer, a water heater, or a furnace, there's likely a carbon monoxide detector located near those appliances. I hope that answered your question, Dennis. I look forward to answering many more from listeners in the weeks ahead. Keep them coming. There's no me without you. Reporting for About Mansfield, I'm Home Improvement Specialist Terry Radswin. If you have a home improvement question, you can send an email to askterry at aboutmansfield.com. Again, that's askterry, T-E-R-R-Y, at aboutmansfield.com. Terry will tackle another home improvement question next week. Friday is National Creamsicle Day, and when's the last time you had a creamsicle? Let's see if the weather's going to cooperate for an ice cream bar. Alexa? In Mansfield for the next seven days. Tuesday, 101 degrees Fahrenheit and mostly sunny weather. Wednesday, 102 degrees and mostly sunny weather. Thursday, 104 degrees and mostly sunny weather. Friday, 102 degrees and lots of sun. Saturday, 102 degrees and mostly sunny weather. Sunday, 102 degrees and partly sunny weather. Monday, 96 degrees and partly sunny weather. Perfect weather for a creamsicle. Now, if I only knew of a place that sold one, send me an email. Let me know. The Tarrant Regional Water District states that your lawn could use three quarters of an inch of water from your sprinklers this week. Looking ahead, it will be hot and dry. Be sure to divide your controller settings over two days and use the cycle and soak method to reduce runoff. For more watering and irrigation tips, log on to waterisawesome.com. That's a look at news and weather. If you have a news tip that you would like us to follow up on, please send us an email to news at aboutmansfield.com. Again, that is news at aboutmansfield.com. Coming up after the break, we will switch from news to talk, and we will talk in studio with Mansfield Mission Center Executive Director Carmen McMillan. Stay with us. I'm Steve Casillo with Colleen Daniel and the entire news team, and this is About Mansfield. It has literally carved the landscape of the planet itself, yet beyond its beauty and its grace, it is essential to life itself. Water. It's awesome. Enjoy it. Just don't waste it. Visit waterisawesome.com. Hey, it's Steve Casillo. I want to take just a second here to tell you about Podcast Mansfield Recording Studio. It's where we record and produce our weekly episodes. Podcast Mansfield is a full-service studio with recording, editing, mixing, and mastering capabilities, and can even help you market your podcast. So whether you're a hands-on person who just needs a place to record your podcast or need the help from concept to completion, Podcast Mansfield is there to help. Conveniently located inside Mansfield's only co-working space, the studio is inside the beautiful confines of The Office in Mansfield on Country Club Drive near Matlock at 1103 Alexis Court. For more information on starting your podcast, or looking for a better place to record, Podcast Mansfield Recording Studio can be found on the internet at podcastmansfield.com. Again, that is podcastmansfield.com. Hey, y'all. I'm Fort Worth Mayor Betsy Price. And I'm Arlington Mayor Jeff Williams. And I'm Oscar Trevino, Mayor of North Richmond Hills. I know y'all are all ready to get back to our nights on the town. And to the sights and sounds of Rangers baseball. And to beating the Texas heat with a day at the water park. To get back to normal, we have one simple ask. Y'all wear a mask. Utiliza tu cubreboca. Y'all wear your mask. Let's do our part to keep Texas open. Welcome back to another segment of About Mansfield. I'm Steve Casillo, and it is time for our little talks segment that we always do on our on our episodes. In the studio today is a uh, a woman who lives here in Mansfield. She is the executive director of Mansfield Mission Center. And we're going to get into talking about her travels and her life of how she how she eventually ended up in Mansfield because she's, as they say, uh, ain't from around here. So, Carmen McMillan, welcome <laughs> to About Mansfield. Hey, how are you, am, Steve? So good to be here. I am doing great, and and uh, you got a big smile on your face, which is which is good. You're a Canadian. Fifty percent. Fifty percent Canadian. How did? 
Yes, yes. So uh, I lived in Toronto, uh, in the Toronto area, for about 18 years, actually, most of my adult life. Were you born in Canada? I was not. Oh, okay. Um, interestingly, I was born in East Texas, actually near Houston, but then uh, we we left Texas when I was a kid, uh, moved back. I did elementary school and graduated high school, actually, in East Texas, but then I married a Canadian and oh. I traveled north, which is probably one of the only reasons someone would move that far north, but uh, lived there for 18 years, uh, finished school there, um, started my career in the nonprofit sector, and uh, and loved it. What did you do for a living in Toronto? Yeah, so um, really felt called uh, to go into ministry full-time. I finished an undergraduate degree in religious studies and thought perhaps I might actually go to seminary and then realized it was really more community development and mission work that I was drawn to and passionate about. So did a master's in organizational leadership and change, uh, focusing on both church leadership and nonprofit management, and uh, was able to work for two really uh, wonderful organizations in Canada. The first one was Canadian Baptist Ministries, and I was responsible for their global mission programming. You left Canada. You came back to Texas? I did, yeah. So most of my family uh, is in either East Texas or kind of the San Antonio area. So wasn't quite sure what I was going to do, but I had the opportunity, the resources to be able to relocate and um, thought, you know, if any time in my career, this is a good time to kind of do a second second start, um, this would be it. So sold my house and uh, stepped out in faith and moved to North Texas, where I felt like the job opportunities were probably a bit better uh, in the nonprofit sector. When you moved back to North Texas, was, did you immediately come to Mansfield? or, or? I didn't, actually. I kind of threw a dart on the map and tried to find some place kind of centrally located. I lived in Las Colinas for six months while I was looking for work and uh, interviewed in some different places um, in the nonprofit sector and higher ed uh, and also in business, and uh, nothing felt quite right. Um, at the point at which my parents were starting to get a little nervous that I wasn't going to go back to work, um, I came across the position in Mansfield. Uh, it was then the Wesley Mission Center. And... Uh, Applied, and that was when they were based out of the the Methodist Church, the yeah. first first Methodist Church on Walnut Creek. Yes, right? correct. Yes, and so um, looked at the map, figured out, you know, I can make that commute from Las Colinas to Mansfield um, for the foreseeable future if it ends up working <laughs> out. And um, yeah, got a call from uh, Teresa Sherwood, who was the executive director then, and was invited to come from for an interview, and uh, fell in love with it. Just fell in love with the organization. The people. Uh, Teresa took me around to kind of meet the community and um, explore a bit. And um, yeah, never looked back. At what point did the Wesley Mission Center change to Mansfield Mission Center, what it is now? Yeah. So when I was hired, um, the organization was still relatively young. You know, it was started by First Methodist Church, but then became its own 501c3 organization. And the board was really trying to figure out how to help the organization grow, um, how to help the organization reach more people, partner with other churches and businesses in the community. And so we went through kind of a series of different steps. But one of those important steps was being able to change the name from Wesley Mission Center to Mansfield Mission Center, because it, it really was more of a, a reflection of the whole community. Right. So we did that about two years in. So we've been Mansfield Mission Center for about two, two and a half years now. And in doing so, you changed the name of the organization. You also then bought a strip center, which is where the thrift store is, right? <laughs> right. And, and, right. And you became landlords. We became landlords. And then we quickly realized that was taking us away from our mission focus and uh, had the opportunity to then sell the 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 retail center to the school district uh, about four and a half months ago. Right, and we did a story on that here on the on the podcast mm -hmm. maybe a month ago that that you're going to start seeing some of these uh, these businesses there in the strip center start to move out and make room for the school district. But uh, but you got kind of a sweet deal uh, because you were the owner of or, or you the organization was the owner of yeah. the of the strip center. 
So you guys are going to be there a little while, right? Because we, it's a brand new thrift center. You'd hate to have to tear all that stuff down. What's going on with that? Absolutely. So uh, we we invested a lot of heart and soul into renovating that space. And mm-hmm. so we're very proud of it. Uh, the thrift store is kind of the heartbeat of the organization, drives most of the revenue for us. And so uh, we were able to work out a, a longer term lease with the school district to be able to stay there for at least six years. And so we'll see what, what the community looks like, you know, kind of where our needs are and uh, in the next over the next couple of years to kind of see what the longer term plan is, but yeah, for the foreseeable future, that's where we'll be. The Mission Center also acquired the building out on on Sixth and and Broad, and explain what's going on out at the uh, is that that's the food bank. Yeah. So um, interestingly, uh, not long after we completed the the renovation and moved the the thrift store, uh, we had some conversations with Mansfield Cares about the land at Sixth and Broad and uh, undeveloped. Uh, Mansfield Cares was anxious to see some more ministry opportunities happening there to serve the community. So we started having conversations about potentially building a new facility on that land. And through those conversations, started having conversations about the Linda Nix Clinic. So uh, just over a year ago, some land and the Linda Nix Clinic became part of the Mansfield Mission Center. Harvesting International is still a separate organization. Right. There are our, our good neighbors and friends also serving the community really well. And so, you know, it's just a pleasure to be able to kind of see ministry expanding in that space. And we've since started moving additional staff over to the clinic and expanding some of the resources and supports there in that that location. So it's great to see, you know, ministry expanded. And the resources and support. What are some of some of the resources that that yeah. uh, if someone is in need, what what kind of resources are out there? Yeah. So, you know, being able to offer free medical care to the community is such a huge blessing. Um, it's so unique in terms of what most organizations are really able to do. And we've noticed, you know, like a lot of other organizations that do more wraparound support, so many of the challenges that people face are very interconnected. So sometimes with loss of job, that means loss of benefits. Uh, loss of benefits means poor health. So you get these kind of cyclical effects, you know, the things that families are facing or individuals are facing. And sometimes in social services, we refer to those things as the social determinants of health. So we want to be able to provide more services in kind of more immediate ways through case management, referrals, and additional services on site to help in a more holistic way. So our financial assistance, our employment help, and um, those kinds of things are all located now at the Linda Nix Clinic. I think you were mentioning to me when we talked last week uh, off the program that, that it was also tax time, and you were helping people file taxes. Is that right? Yes, correct. So we are also a VITA site, the Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Program, sponsored by United Way in the city of Fort Worth. This season, we just completed tax season, and uh, our volunteers prepared, I believe it was just shy of 300 tax returns wow. at no cost. At no cost. At no cost. Interestingly enough, um, I think most people would be surprised that they are actually eligible for some of these services. So I would encourage anyone that's remotely curious to visit the website and just kind of see what those qualifications are. When someone goes to the thrift store, what are some of the things that that, that people donate and what are some of the things that people can, uh, can expect to see to purchase? Yeah, so um, Mansfield is such a, a uniquely generous community. Uh, we get a lot of fantastic donations uh, at the at the thrift store. So anything from clothing to sports equipment to um, vintage glassware. I mean, you kind of name it, we have it at some point in time. So uh, great, great donations that come through. Of course, everything is inspected and looked at to make sure it's in good quality before it's put out on the on the floor for sale. But then. Um, for shoppers, you know, they can expect to come into a really clean, well-organized store, um, which we, we hope great customer service. You know, we, we've tried to focus on that. We certainly want our, our shoppers to return. And uh, I think as frequently as possible, because you really never know what you're going to get from day to day. It's completely different. So if I had something that I wanted to donate, how do I go about donating to the thrift store. Yeah. So um, really easy process. Uh, You just drive around back. So at the corner of Walnut Creek and Broad, directly where the thrift store is, there's signage that will take you around to the back of the building. We have a drop-off kind of carport. So it's covered, you know, it's raining. You don't have to get out of your vehicle. You just pop the trunk and our volunteers will be right there to assist and, and bring those donations in. 
And even though the thrift center is on a, a six-year lease, and is there the possibility of, of any type of expansion within that, that time frame? You know, there really is. You know, initially we thought um, we'd be in a situation where we'd be building the new facility next door to the clinic, the undeveloped land. Uh, just with, you know, the economic situation right now and the uncertainty around, you know, kind of what our space needs are going to be for the foreseeable future and not wanting to tackle a, a capital campaign and raise additional funds for a new building, we're really trying to figure out how to maximize all of those resources. So I'm super glad you asked that question because we do have space in the um, in the thrift store uh, that's large enough that we can bring uh, the food piece of our ministry to that location. So over the next couple of weeks, we're actually um, renovating that space so that both our market, which is kind of like a little grocery store, will be situated inside of the thrift store. So it'll be much more accessible to the community. It'll be much more visible. I think there are a lot of folks that probably shop at the thrift store, if they knew that we also had food, could benefit from that. So being able to move it there is going to be really, really helpful. And explain how the market, uh, the, the, the grocery store works. Yeah. It's fantastic. I would certainly <laughs> encourage anyone to come and take a tour of that. Uh, we are so fortunate to have amazing community partners that help support that endeavor. So um, we get a weekly donation from Market Street. Uh, mm-hmm. They are our largest donor to that uh, to that aspect of our ministry. And then we also have um, donations from Kroger, Walmart, and Terran Area Food Bank. And so th- fresh produce, dairy, meat, um, things like that, uh, families can come and shop. And I say shop, but it's no no cost. And so yeah. families who are eligible for groceries, they can come in and get those things. We also have pet food. So we partner with a program called Don't Forget to Feed Me. So if, if families have cats or dogs in their home, um, those are family family members too. We want to make sure that our, our pets go well-fed. And so families can shop for, for pet food also. And if a family is in need of, the, whether it's the grocery, the pet store, uh, the pet food, how do they go about finding, where can they find information about that? Yeah. So on our web, Website, uh, there is a tab called services. So services, uh, and it's on um, mansfieldmission.org. On the tab called services, there's a list of things that um, that we provide, and uh, there's really specific criteria about eligibility. And so if someone qualifies uh, for one service, they qualify for all of them. So if anyone uh, is in need of food, once they kind of go through that process to see if they're eligible to come and shop for free, they can also get free dental, medical, vision care. Um, They're eligible for financial assistance, for employment help, and any, any one of the services that the Mission Center offers. What has been, uh, uh, if, if you don't mind picking out one case and say, uh, tell us a story about a family. You don't have to give out names, but uh, what, what was their situation and how did the Mansfield Mission Center help them? You know, one of my favorite stories is uh, a mom that has lived in Mansfield her whole life, uh, I believe five children in the home, and uh, she hadn't completed high school. She was working in a in a job that was very physical, and she was getting to a certain point in her life where she knew it was going to be too physically demanding. She wasn't going to be able to do it forever. And so she had been coming for financial assistance and for food for several years, and at some point in time, uh, through the financial coaching piece, she realized that in order to be able to support herself longer term, she was going to need to get her GED so that she could get a better paying job. And so that was kind of the first step. So, you know, sometimes families come in and we'll see them once or twice. Um, sometimes we work with an individual for years to kind of help them through that situation. So she was able to complete her GED. Uh, her son completed his GED right alongside her, in fact. And then uh, we were able to kind of help her connect with someone with some entrepreneurial experience to help her start her own business. So she started her own business. Uh, meanwhile, was still able to come for food and some other things for their family while they were getting on their feet. But but uh, it was such an important thing for her, you know, at a, such a later stage in life, not feeling like she had completed something. And so the empowerment that comes from that sense of completion, you know, this lifelong dream of completing high school, she was able to do that. 
and then to start her own business. So that's that's probably one of my favorite stories. And now that she's owned her own business, is she off of the 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 needing the services of, of the center? She is. Yeah. Nice. In fact, she she is. Um, she's been back to visit. Um, she's been back to kind of help speak at some different events and things like that to be able to kind of share her story, her testimony about her experience. And then certainly she's been able to encourage other people who have been in similar situations. And so. Yeah. Yeah. It's been very, very helpful. You mentioned the the donations from the grocery stores. If, if someone has extra food at home, can the citizens of Mansfield donate to the food bank? Yeah, definitely. So yeah, we do take donations uh, anytime during business hours that when the offices are open, um, non-perishable items and things like that, or, or pantry staples, shelf-stable items are always in need. So we certainly um, welcome covet those donations, you know, throughout the year. And, you know, whenever groups are able to do food drives, you know, those are those are often times that are very helpful for us too throughout the year. So in addition to running Mansfield Mission Center as the executive director, you're you're also a student again. I am a student. And yes. what's so what's the future of Carmen yeah. McMillan? So yeah, I'm working on my my doctor doctorate. Uh, currently, your PhD. I, yeah, well, uh, doctorate of education. It's, okay. it's actually through the School of Education at USC. Okay, and um, is that not a PhD? It's not. It's so similar, though. The difference is PhD is a little bit more research driven. Right. I do have a, a dissertation, um, but it's very much an applied degree. So I'm able to focus on actually a lot of the work that we're doing at the Mission Center, and I'm using that as my case study and my research focus, which is really looking at. Um, um, self-efficacy uh, for lower income adults and in terms of how people are able to manage chronic health conditions like diabetes. Um, so what are the things, what are the, the support mechanisms that are most helpful for lower income adults to be able to manage their chronic health needs? And at the end of this, you will be Dr. McMillan. Lord willing, yes, I will be Dr. McMillan. Okay. <laughs> But not a PhD. But not a PhD. Oh. Uh, not a, and not a medical doctor either, which we also have at our office. Okay. <laughs> what are you going to do with that? I also love teaching. I yeah. love working with other nonprofit leaders. I love working with our staff. And so for me, being able to pursue the degree through the School of Education is helping me learn how to help others, which has been very meaningful. I have taught part-time over the years in different programs. So um, that's something that I would probably like to continue to do too. Now, you're not going to get so big that you're going to outgrow Mansfield and go elsewhere then. No, right? and no one is ever allowed to say Dr. McMillan. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> It's for resume purposes only, potentially, but okay. uh, yeah, certainly I'm not going to be called doctor. <laughs> okay. Well, we are glad to have you in Mansfield. We are, are ecstatic with the work that you do at the, uh, the Mansfield Mission Center. It's my privilege. It and, is my privilege completely. And I know that, that Mansfield Mission Center, it's not just you. I, you have a tremendous team, not only of, of the, the staff that works there, but also the board members and... and Shout yes. outs? You got any shout outs? Oh my goodness. Oh, where do I we, start? And we have plenty. Yep. Yeah, we got, we got plenty of time. <laughs> where do I start? We have a 14 member board. Okay. Uh, that are just dynamite, uh, super thoughtful and reflective, engaged in the community from pastors to business leaders to um, local um, other nonprofit folks. I mean, we've got a really stellar group. Uh, our leadership team is really phenomenal as well. You know, just a breadth of experience and other backgrounds and gifts that they bring. And then, like, 600 volunteers. What? Are you serious? S seriously, 600 wow. on our roster. Yeah, it takes it takes a, a big team to, to, to make that thing run. So, yeah, an amazing group of people from all walks of life right across the city um, that we are extremely grateful for. Carmen, how can uh, give out the give out the information about the thrifts, uh, the thrift store, the 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 Mansfield Mission Center website, and and how people can can help? Yeah, so um, we are always looking for new volunteers. Uh, certainly, uh, for folks that want to get involved and serve the community, um, we have a wide range of opportunities. So, from volunteering in the thrift store to volunteering in the clinic or uh, in any one of our programs or through the food distribution, uh, Mansfield Mission. 
Foundation.org has a list of those opportunities. There's definitely a volunteer application and uh, a list of what the most needed items are at any given time. And uh, certainly the hours are there as well. Is there a minimum age to volunteer? No, not necessarily. We sometimes have families with children who come and volunteer, especially over the summer, whenever families are looking to get out and do something meaningful. So uh, during this season of pandemic, we are certainly encouraging social distancing, mask wearing. We take temperatures. There are some very specific processes that we're uh, working through with volunteers to make sure we keep everybody safe. What's your favorite ice cream? Ooh, bluebell banana pudding. For like 25 years. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) As long as it's been around. So that, that was kind of an indication that I've, I've, I'm kind of running short on questions. <laughs> but the future doctor, Carmen McMillan, thank you for being on About Mansfield. You've been a pleasure to, to talk with. And, and we've, we've had some wonderful conversations off the microphone, too. You are, are a tremendous friend of mine, and I appreciate you being on About Mansfield. Thank you. It's so much fun. Thank you. And I'm so excited that you're doing this show. Um, I'm excited for what this means for our community, having more opportunities to connect. So thank you. Well, I appreciate that. We'll be right back. Hi, this is John with Pool Aid, your local pool care specialist. The CDC has determined that pool maintenance services are an essential business due to the added threat of bacteria, algae, mold, and funguses that is a byproduct of the lack of cleaning in a chemical imbalance. Allow us to be an essential part of your pool. If you have any questions or concerns or need a certified professional to help keep your pool safe and clean, visit us on the internet at PoolAid.net. That's PoolAid.net. We're here for you. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. It's time right now for listener comments. Referring to last week's episode, Daphna writes, This one was really good. It nearly made me cry. Daphna, I don't know what part of the program you're referring to, but we greatly appreciate that you're listening. Congratulations to Brian Certain, who was the first person to email the correct answer to last week's trivia question. Name the United States congressman who was buried at the Mansfield Cemetery, and what year did he die? According to findagrave.com, it's United States Congressman Oscar William Gillespie. Born in 1858, Gillespie graduated from Mansfield College in 1885, earned a law degree, and served three terms in Congress from 1903 to 1911. After leaving Congress, Gillespie resumed the practice of law until his death in 1927 at age 69. Brian has won a $25 gift card to Jake's Burgers and Beer. It is time right now for the highly coveted, yes, it's wildly popular, the trivia question of the week. The first person to email the correct answer to trivia at aboutmansfield.com will receive a $25 gift card to Jake's Burgers and Beer, a true Texas tradition of burgers and beer since 1985. Located on Broad Street, right next door to Newsom Stadium, you can find them on the internet at jakesburgersandbeer.com. Let's get to this week's question, Colleen. Well, Steve, if you've ever traveled on North Street in historic Mansfield between Oak Street and Newt Patterson, you can't miss the railroad trestle as you look to the west when crossing the tracks. The trestle, which keeps Union Pacific trains from plummeting into the Walnut Creek, is one of the oldest operating trestles in the state and one of the most visited sites of interest in Mansfield. It's a favorite backdrop for senior photos, too. This week's question is, what year was the railroad trestle near North Street built? Email your answer to trivia at aboutmansfield.com. Again, what year was the railroad trestle near North Street built? 
Good luck. And thanks to Brad and Kendra at Jake's for the gift card. Coming up next week on About Mansfield, it's our usual array of news, talk, and information, including an in-studio interview with Mansfield area musician Brad Thompson. The show will be released on Wednesday, August 19th. Until then, don't forget to follow this podcast, if you haven't already, so you never miss an episode. It's free and it's easy. Just enter your email address on our website, aboutmansfield.com. We will never send you any spam. We promise. About Mansfield is recorded at Podcast Mansfield Recording Studio. Anchors Steve Casillo and Colleen Daniel. Reporters Stacy Main, Dennis Webb, and Robbie Terry. Home Improvement Feature Terry Radswin. Sports Tommy Cummings. Post Production Editing, Mixing, and Mastering Robbie Terry. We thank you all for listening. On behalf of the entire news team, I'm Steve Casillo, and this is About Mansfield. <laughs>